surely the end of the road for Kelbrook, but which path does Terence Crawford take to ensure the super fight he craves? This is After the Bell, Mirror Fighting's boxing show in association with Betfair. It's the WBA heavyweight champion of the world! Float like a butterfly, sting like a beast! Mirror brings you after the bell in association with Betfair. Hello and welcome to this week's show with your regular panel, with me Martin Dorman, with George Groves, and with Declan Taylor. If you're watching, please do subscribe and give the video a thumbs up. If you're listening, please do rate and uh, review. This week we'll start in Las Vegas with Kelbrook's fourth round stoppage defeat by Terence Crawford. Then we'll move on to London, where there were three. Women's fights headlining, Katie Taylor, Terry Harper, Rachel Ball, all coming through. And then finally, we'll take a look at Conor Benn's career thus far ahead of his return to the ring against Sebastian Formella on Saturday. As I said, first of all, Kelbrook jabbed well for two rounds. Terence Crawford switched stances, turned the tide of the fight and stopped Brook just over a minute into the fourth round. George, we'll come on to ramifications for both men, the plans for both men in a bit. But first of all, what you saw of Kelbrook for 10 minutes or so, what were your thoughts? Yeah, so um, a te- technical breakdown um, was that, you know, uh, not not an awful amount of stuff um, happened uh, off the get-go, which is to be expected. I don't know... Sometimes the American commentators are very... Uh, I appreciated the American commentators that I saw uh, the ESPN coverage that was on in the UK. Um, they rely heavily on um, compu box stats and power shots and whatnot. And then, you know, they almost get carried away when, you know, we're only a round or so in. But um, Brooke, Brooke shaped up well. Um, Crawford decided to come out in the orthodox stance, which was picked up by the commentators and um, didn't really impose himself in the first round or two. Um, we know he swapped stance, he changed his stance. From the southpaw stance, um, with the reach advantage, I, you know, if he was going to go into a fight, you know, orthodox versus southpaw, the guy who's got the height and reach advantage has got a massive advantage because just the dynamics of the two stances, the way they match together, you never especially want to get too close. So as an orthodox fighter, you never want to get too close to a southpaw because it's hard to get your work off. You usually get tangled up, you usually clash heads or things like that. So as soon as that happened, um, there was a slight change um, in the uh, in the fight. But really, it was just Brooke got hit with what seemed like a jab and it had a bizarre effect, you know, bizarre as in it wouldn't, it's not the sort of shot that you expect someone to have that reaction from. Um, you know, he was, he was gone. He was gone. He went sideways, you know, the referee had to matador his way out of the, out of the way and he f- fell through the ropes. The ropes kept him up and the fight was kind of over from there. Um, in the replay, it did show that the, the shot, it was straight arm shot, did land in the eye again. I don't know whether there's anything to that. Obviously, he's had the eye injuries before. Um, but, yeah, the fight the fight was as good as over from there in the fourth round. So, maybe it's Crawford's, you know, brilliant punch power. 
maybe it's just that Brooks' punch resistance has sort of faded now over the years. Um, or it just might have been one of them freak punches that, that finishes the fight. I don't know. But um, in some ways, a shame for, for Brook because he was, he was shaping up well enough. And for, for the fight fans, we'd like to have seen how it, how it would have panned out a bit further. But it seemed like without being too cruel on Kel Brook, like that as soon as the big shot landed, it was going to be over and it, and it was over. And then for you, you're questioning his punch resistance. And then what leads on to the next bit is the next question is where'd you go from there? We'll come to that shortly. Deck, it, it was a kind of a strange punch. What, what were your thoughts over the first four rounds or the four rounds? Yeah, I mean, we always hear, almost, it's true really, that Terence Crawford's a slow starter, but you'd never think that with a fourth round stoppage. But actually, he did start pretty slowly. He was quite happy to, he seemed quite happy to sort of lose the first couple of rounds, really. He was behind for me. Um, but it obviously made no difference to him. Like you say, then he switched stances and then he landed a pretty innocuous looking shot at first. But actually, the replay showed it was beautifully timed and it was on, I'm not on the button, but it was on a a button on Kelbrook's face, which is that eye area. And you've got to wonder whether, like, this is a guy who took some real stick from Golovkin at middleweight over five rounds and he, you know, he got the, the, the towel thrown in. So to get caught by one shot, send him spinning across the ring and ending, you know, ending a fight against a guy who's come up from like, well, you've got to think it's a, um, it's a punch resistance job maybe over the years and those bad injuries he's had to his face. And not forgetting that he had that big agonizing cut down to welterweight. And no matter what he says, I'm sure it was as bad as ever. So as soon as you drain yourself like that, um, that punch resistant goes, look at Ricky Hatton when he came back. I mean, he did it throughout his career. And the Pacquiao fight's an example. When he came back and boxed Senchenko, um, same thing happened to him. He got caught. It was a liver shot. But, you know, it was one of those where at his best, he wouldn't be getting put away like that. And I think Brooke... You know, I think he was up against it anyway, against Terence Crawford, and maybe the best Kelbrook or a fresher Kelbrook would have would have lost still. But it was a bit bizarre, a bit sad, really, to see. Um, and who knows, maybe it was just a beautiful shot and even the best Kelbrook would have reacted like that. But that wasn't my thinking. Um, yeah, a bit of a, a bit of a shame, if, you know, if you're in the Kelbrook business. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Terence Crawford, he's exceptional, isn't he? And... That was, like we said before, could have been up there with his toughest test. It didn't turn out like that, but he came through it. And now um, now he's looking for something mega. The word doubts going in, or at least unanswered questions, How what had the last, what had the weight cut taken out of him? You know, he had faced very mediocre opposition for the last three and a half years. So he said, oh, I'm as good as I was against Porter. But really, I'm sure that was just a little bit of fanciful thinking. What are people thinking this morning? If they haven't seen the fight, they've woken up, they've seen Kelbrook in the fourth round stopped. And I'm thinking people like Dominic Ingle, people like Eddie Hearn, maybe. People who have kind of were in the Kelbrook business, but are no longer in the Kelbrook business. My suggestion would be they'll be like, oh yeah, of course he'd got beat in the fourth round. Yeah, I mean, the fact is that they would, neither of those people um, and a load of other people expected him to win. So they would be waking up going, not surprised, basically. Um, I think the, the fourth round stoppage is uh, a bit strange because it wasn't like Crawford blew, flew out of the blocks, beat him up and stopped him in four rounds. It was just like just like that. He was getting control, I thought, of the fight and when he switched stances. But um, 
Yeah, it's it's not it's not a good look. It's not great, is it? Because and like you say, Brooke did say that he's better than ever and he's fit and everything like that. He's obviously going to say that. I mean, I'm sure everyone would say that in that position. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I think there'll be a lot of people not surprised um, by a stoppage in the fourth round. I probably I I definitely was. Um, and I think it's a shame. And I think it would be a shame if he went out like that. But I, he's not the sort of guy now who's going to become an, an opponent, like a big name opponent, because, because of the weight. I don't think, I, see, I think as soon as he's not in big fights, his weight's going to pile on and he's just going to, you know, enjoy his life. I don't know if George would agree with that. I, I don't see him sticking around for anything that's not massive. Yeah, I mean, I, I go along with that deck. I'm sure um, for someone like Kelbrook, um, a fight gets made. And he, his question is not, can I win that fight? It's, can I be bothered to make the weight? You know, and that, what's the purse? Can I be bothered to make the weight? How much notice have I got? Is the fight worth its while? What's the prize money? And then I'll, is it worth me making the weight? Um, it must... Maybe it was just, for him, a feeling of, I want to roll back the clock and you know, make up for some lost years. I'm going to come back down to welterweight where all my success was. I'm going to beat this... this this fight that everyone's raving about and then, you know, put, put, put right. Um, everything that's gone before, but it's hard now. Cause like with, with hindsight, you know, as you say, you wake up in the morning and, um, Kelbrook's been be away from home, you know, during these COVID times, it looks like he's been sitting out there all on his own and he gets stopped in the fourth round. And it, in many ways for me, it's even worse that he wasn't just bashed up for four rounds and stopped. It wasn't much in the fight, and the second that something lands, his punch resistance is gone, and the fight's over. And then you're, if I'm, if I am, you know, someone who's been part of the the Brook team for years and years and years, and now I'm not, you know, I've let him go out there, and you know, there might be an element of guilt there. You know, as a as a promoter, manager, trainer, or someone like that might be like, you know, I. Have I left him? You know, have I, have I left him high and dry here? Um, he's his own man, of course, and he makes he'll make his own decisions. And hopefully, he's got paid paid pretty well from it. But in the build up, he said he let slip that you know he's fighting him now. He would have got more money for fighting him, obviously, with a crowd um, not behind closed doors. So you're hoping that the the, the, the money was there for him. It wasn't just the love of boxing, um, because. It, it did have a big effect that that shot. You know, you can see you can see his head and his neck. Um, you know, it, it doesn't roll, but there's a big. You know, it has a big impact. Um, and you hear him straight at the end of the fight say, "What happened?" You know, so he's concussed from that punch because he doesn't even have. You know, I've been there where you go, "What happened?" But you know, you've got off the floor. You get that bit comes back to you. He wouldn't even have had that. So we were like, "Why is the fight over?" Um, I don't know. Even Crawford just sort of seemed a little bit subdued and concerned at the end of it. Um, it's a shame. It's a shame. It's a shame. And for Kelbrook, you know, I don't know where he'll find peace and solace now, but. I can't see him being highly motivated for for lower key fights. Um, I can't really see where you know what what's next for him, just for his own temperament. Um, we have to we have to we have to wait and see, I suppose. A good point about his team. Do you think he? I know his dad's obviously heavily involved, so presumably they will talk. But does he have someone in his ear 
just helping him, or at least there, you know, listen, if you need my advice, I'll help you along. Has he got someone there to tell him how to just sort of deal with things now, whichever direction he decides to go? Yeah, I think that's the role of his dad. Um, and they're obviously extremely close and have been throughout. And it was his dad who spoke to Eddie about the matchroom deal and about the Amir Khan, potential Amir Khan fight and all that sort of stuff. So, and you would hope, you would think, that, assume that, the, that his dad's got his best interests at heart and he'll be overcautious, if anything, and say, you know, okay, maybe that's enough or whatever it might be, whatever the decision has made. He had Greg Marriott, who's his long-term nutritionist, uh, the sort of Ingle Gym house nutritionist with him. So it wasn't totally left high and dry by that, by that stable. Um, so that's another confidant. Um, see his new trainer is new on the scene. He'll have an opinion on it, but um, it won't hold much weight in terms of like the long-term uh, career of Kelbrook. But yeah, I would hope that his dad, they'll have a chat, you know, I'm sure everyone, you know, after they get beaten has a different way of dealing with it, but they'll have a chat. They would have had a chat afterwards this morning, this week. Um, uh, I'm sure it'll be a pretty dark time for Kel, to be honest, because, you know, like anyone losing, especially in that fashion, and particularly if it is look, looking like it's kind of the end. Um, so, yeah, you would hope that he does have that support. I'm, and really, I'm sure that even if he goes back to Dom, like he'll go back to Sheffield, and it's not like they've fallen out, as far as anyone can tell. It was more of a logistical, maybe financial decision, but whatever it was, it, was, it wasn't like some big split, like Brendan and Naz, for instance. So, you know, he's still got Dom as a mentor as well, and I'm sure he'll have an opinion on it. Um, and yeah, I, you know, he's got a family at home and stuff. I think he'll be, he'll be all right in that, in that sense. He's not, he's not on his own in that sense, but I agree with George that he was, he was on his own last night, really. And his dad was there, but it was a new team and it was a new thing and it was a totally new vibe for him. Um, and yeah, that wouldn't have been pleasant, particularly with that sort of ending. Do we have to ask questions as to why over, you know, after he'd lost to Spence, it was fairly obvious he was going to move up in, in weight. Do we have to, I mean, maybe it's on him, maybe it's on promoters, I don't know. But do we have to ask questions as to why over those three years he fought the opposition he did instead of mounting a challenge for a world title at that weight just to, you know, to, be, to try and become a two-weight world champion? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It, it felt like... He had real long periods out of the ring, um, and whether they were strategic or not, I don't. I don't know. You know whether they were. They might have even been against the will of, of Kel Brook, but you know, it's you know the trainer, manager, promoter trying to you know do their best by him and you know give him time to recover or rejuvenate himself or whatnot. But yeah, I don't. As I say, it's been you know three and a half years since he boxed Spence. Three and a half years since he's boxed anyone of that sort of level. Um, and yeah, like things that can be overlooked is, you know, getting back down to that weight. Even with whatever time period you've got, you you know, you're gonna it's gonna have an effect on your punch resistance and on your strength and your ability to maintain both throughout the duration of a of a twelve round fight. So um he looked he looked um different you know in, in the face I thought I thought in the build-up to this fight you know I think he probably decided to, to get lighter earlier maybe because his face looks a little bit more drawn obviously happens to all of us you know, as you get older you know you do have a, a different look than you will do from from time gone by but um that might have had a slight effect because I mean he's 
you can tell he's got that body type that just wants to blow up. You know, he's he, he has to really cut you know, cut to get down to get his frame down to um, the weight weight limit. You know, he doesn't have. I mean, he's got good height, but he doesn't have the reach. It's not like he's got great big long limbs that he's going to have to contend with. It's just that he's very muscular. Um, you know, you probably you probably could go up super middleweight if you left him in the gym long enough. Um, we'll say he'll have any success as a middleweight. He might not be conditioned that way, but his body type would would definitely allow it. So um, he looked yeah. strong at middleweight, didn't he, against Golovkin? Like he looked, he, he didn't look like he was tiny against Golovkin. So that's exactly right. It's just that frame of his. Mm. And I and I bet he didn't. Uh, I bet he still had to probably dry out the night before to make the middleweight limit. You know, um, it's some some fighters. They you know they 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 can boil themselves down to that weight. Ricky Hatton maybe one of them. Um, Carl Frampton I think was another one. Um, as soon as you start going up the weights, because you might not have the height or or the style to contend with the bigger guys, um, you you just don't have the same success. So you, 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 it's a struggle. Might take years off your career, but it means you'll be the best you can be at that particular weight. Where you do just boil yourself down to get to that weight. You might blow up after the weigh-in, um, put on a few pounds, um, but be physically strong. But I think time, time, time makes that more difficult. The older you get, the thicker you get, the heavier you get. And Kelbrook not doing that for for some years has probably had an effect as well. I think it was a, a a bad luck sort of timing thing as well because as far as I can remember, when they went on the light middleweight part, it was sort of Jarrett Heard which seemed to be the target, and I think they were going the WBA route as far as I can remember, and then obviously Heard got beaten, and then uh, Charlo, uh, the, the Charlo um, Jamel was boxing, he lost, so they had rematches, so it was all, every, all everyone was time sort of tied up, and Kel was kind of left out in the cold a bit, and as far as I could tell, he's not cheap. I don't think he's cheap. So you're looking at pay-per-view fights or big American fights where basically they'll pay for him. So then you're limited again. Um, and I think this one, in answer to your question about why he went back to Well, wait, I think it was just the, the opportunity was too, the money was too good and the opportunity to fight for a world title again and make a massive impression when there was basically nothing else on the table in this day and age. Um, it was too good for him to turn down. I mean, it, it didn't go his way, but he made the weight. But I just think that might have been, might have been too much for him. I've been swithering over to mention this all week. I thought if if Kelbrook loses, do I bring this up? Um, I'm your can. We. I wonder whether we get through this without mentioning. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that is the one thing that's on the table for him, uh, and they always said. They've always both said, particularly Amir Khan has always said, it's always there, that fight's always there for me. And it is always there for him. The fact is it would be seen as, particularly in the sort of more hardcore fan element, as a bit of a joke fight. But I don't think that feeling would be conveyed to the entire boxing public, the casual market. I think there'd be enough people who don't really realise how faded a fight that is, that they could sell it. And all it takes is table at a, you know a, a glass of water over the face at a press conference or whatever everyone's talking about it again um so yeah i think that's the one and uh, you know if eddie's going to be on the phone to Kel, which i'm sure he will be this week just to say you know i don't know just to sort of no hard feelings sort of job maybe i'm sure i'm sure it's not out of the question it's not out of the question mm. no i i i agree i think if there is something left it's it's the Amir Khan fight. They can agree a weight that they both want to make super weight. It doesn't need to necessarily be anything on the line. Um, 
you know, the, the interest will be who's the fresher now? Not like, are we going to see, we, we've missed this fight, it's not going to happen when both of them are at their peak. They've both got losses on their record now. Um, sometimes that might make it a little bit easier to make because, you know, Amir Khan might be sitting at home just watch Kelbrook get beat and think, oh, I fancy this a little bit more now. You know, I think he's, I think he's finished. Um, Brooke Denz will put on a couple of tapes and think, might think the same about um, Khan. So, you know, it, it will definitely, definitely capture the public's imagination, I think. And it will be um, heated in the build-up, I think, without a doubt. Um, and... It, <laughs> As trash as it sounds, it might end up being a bit of a, a bit of a slaggy match, you know, in in the build up, and people pointing out where uh, each other have, have sort of come unstuck and who who's faded the most and who's who's the most fresh. So um, it does make it a little bit interesting, a little bit more fascinating. And um, who can pick in many when you think of it like that? Who 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 would you pick to win? So um, two big names in British boxing. Um, the feeling of that fight is always there um, is a forced sense of security it's not like it's not always there um, it's down to two individuals and whether they want to carry on boxing and whether they want to fight each other um, <clears throat> if they both thought they were going to make seven figures out of it you know each or you know double digits with six six noughts following um maybe then then days are gone now so they have to get their head around that but uh, if they want to roll the dice on us on a split at the pay-per-view which might be easier to agree now because they've both got losses on their record then um that fight could take place and without being too cruel um almost like a bit of a guilty pleasure. You'd, you'd, you'd love to see it with, with no world title fights, just for just because they just don't like each other, just because that's been brewing for so long now. Um, and who's going to, who's going to, who's going to beat, who's going to beat who? Um, I'd, I'd be interested. I'd I feel like they're, they've reached a point where neither have got anything to lose anymore. And that's been the problem throughout the years as someone's had something to lose. Mainly Amir Khan. As far reading between the lines, what I've always thought is that he's just petrified of losing to Kel Brook because it would just finish him. But now he's like, well, I could be finished anyway. So I might as well do it. And, and like George said, the money on offer compared to anything else that he's got to get anywhere unless they get some more money out of Saudi somewhere, which he was hoping for, but that seems to have dried up as well in his case. So I wouldn't be surprised. And given that it, would, you know, it, it could be one of the first fights back with a full house next summer, say, you know, so you, you know you'll sell it out because people will just be desperate to get back. I think it would sell it anyway, but it could maybe even bump up the prices a bit and uh, it would still sell out. For Terence Crawford, it seems... I mean, they talked afterwards about the fact that they were close to the Pacquiao fight in the Middle East and then they couldn't have fans, so then Crawford, uh, sorry, Brook became a sort of replacement opponent. If we accept that um, Crawford's probably not going to fight anyone from PBC, but that his deal with top rank is up in a year, if you can get uh, Manny Pacquiao spring next year, probably the best option at the moment. Yeah, I think so. I think um, that'd be a great fight. You know, Pacquiao, who um, 
I'll be in. It'd be interesting to see how Crawford deals with, with the Pacquiao style. You know, um, he's still got the sharp feet in and out style. He's still got the punch power, um, and if he can keep that up, you know, throughout throughout a twelve round fight, I think um, it'd be re- real interesting. But um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Who knows if that fight can get made? You know, um, I'm not sure what Pacquiao's situation is right now. And whether, it, but Pacquiao's never been one to shy away from a fight. You know, you wouldn't say he's going to try and um, dodge Terence Crawford. I don't think that's in Pacquiao's nature. Um, so it might just be perfect timing for both um, to make to make that fight, and it'd be a, a mega fight, mega mega fight. Yeah, I can I can see it happening. I don't know if you saw last week. There was like a strange sort of letter doing the rounds about that Crawford is basically unhappy, or at least questioning the direction that he's got with top rank and he obviously his contracts up and stuff like that. That's one surefire way of placating him in some way because they're not going to get the Spence fight. No matter how much Bob Arum has a go at Errol Spence on the other side, it's not it's not going to happen at the moment. Certainly not going to happen as a result of moaning. So the one way to keep him happy and get him in a big fight and get him in that marquee name that he craves so much is to finally sling him in with Pacquiao. And like George said, it'd be a great fight. And actually... Pacquiao is not a fate, the faded force that we sort of might think, because if you look at his, his run of opponents, you know, you've got Keith Thurman in there, Lucas Matisse, people like that. It's one of the best runs of his entire career. It's probably better than um, Terence Crawford's last five or six opponents. So, like, it's not like he's faded in any way. I'd love to see that fight. It'd be great to see how he gets on Crawford against the elite Southport, you know, with his switch hitting style. It'd be brilliant. And at the Middle East, that's the sort of fight that they would cough up for. I think um, he did an interview this week with AP and he said, uh, Bob Aram, this is, and they said that I think Dubai was the one or maybe Bahrain or what. Anyway, it wasn't Saudi. It was one of those other states and they've got a lot of money and they're happy to do that fight. And that's what's going to, that's what Pacquiao would fight for without a doubt. And like George says, he's not going to duck some, he's not going to duck Terence Crawford, is he, at this point? He's, he'll have it if, if it's on the table. And I think that would be the perfect, um, perfect sort of middle ground fight before they look for the Spence fight or just forget about it. It definitely feels like the only option that's going to keep him happy. I mean, there's, there's you know, and then if, he, if it's up to, if he's that unhappy in, in a year's time, once he's done that, he can, he can walk away and presumably join Spence at PVC and then, then there are no excuses. Okay, in part two, we'll look back at victories for Katie Taylor, Terry Harper and Rachel Ball. So just before Cal Brook's defeat by Terence Crawford, there were three, supposed to be three women's world title fights in London, ended up just being two. But Katie Taylor remains the undisputed and unified lightweight world champion with a points victory over Miriam Gutierrez, which after about 15 seconds looked highly unlikely. Taylor dominant across the board, had Gutierrez down at the end of the fourth round. Dex, we'll start with on that point really, should either the referee have stepped in or should Gutierrez's corner, as brave as she was, maybe showed some compassion and just throw in the towel? Yeah, I was half expecting the corner to come. I wouldn't have complained if the corner had pulled her out. Um, at no point did she look like winning that fight. And obviously, the longer it goes on, the more tired and the more damaged she gets. So then it's even less likely. It wasn't like she was even landing anything. There wasn't any real complaint. The ref could have done it, but there wasn't any of those real moments where you thought, right, now's the time to jump in. It didn't quite come like that. Um, and, and as far as Katie Taylor's concerned, she'll probably be disappointed that she didn't um, get her out of there as well. But super tough, Miriam Gutierrez, just not really 
um, in the same league at any point. Um, but she was a mandatory challenger, and that's sometimes what happens with mandatory challengers. Um, and I wonder whether there's an argument that maybe we should do away with mandatory challengers at the moment in women's boxing because you get to a point where Katie Taylor, a generational talent who we're not going to have for that much longer, really, is being forced or pressure put on her by sanctioning bodies to take mandatory challenges when she sh and if she doesn't fight these people then she's going to lose her belt um and you just wonder whether now's the time to say maybe we don't need to do man it's not like the talent pool is that vast that we need a sanctioning body to identify who needs to be fighting and, and, and who is capable and has the credentials to fight someone like katie taylor there, there isn't there aren't that many opponents to do that so is it really required? Um, I'm not sure how you would govern it. It was just a thought, really, and something from last night. It just, it, it just wasn't quite right. Um, a big night like that. Uh, it was an amazing performance. I mean, she didn't put a foot wrong. Uh, disappointed, I'm sure, to not get the stoppage. I mean, by the way, without Will, Will and Timon at this point, the card, Victor Lachlan scored it 8-1 with one even. And I was like, Miriam Gutierrez didn't win 10 seconds of any round. I just... I don't know how, what he was watching. It was absolutely mental. Like one of the, we say we've had bad, that was one of the worst I've ever seen. It's absolutely crazy. But um, yeah, Katie Taylor just about hung on to her belts. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> she hasn't had to vacate anything and, you know, she'll march on now. And, and like she, she, she'll box forever as, as long as she can. But it does feel like she won't, be, she won't be here forever. And there won't ever be another Katie Taylor because what she's done for the sport and the doors that she's opened are now open for everyone. No one else is going to have to do that again. So, um, yeah. And she'll fight anyone. There's, there's names out there that float around constantly, but if manager challenges are lined up, she's going to have to take care of them. Um, and then we might miss bigger, bigger fights. Um, but yeah, in answer to your question, Gutierrez probably should have been stopped at some point and uh, amazing performance from Katie Taylor, as we always say. I mean, the good thing about this mandatory, at least, was Katie Taylor might not have fought again this year had she not had it. So she squeezed it in, if you like, and it, it led to the creation of, of this woman-heavy card, which was, you know, put out for free across social media and on Sky Sports as well. So it, it kind of fitted very nicely, but she's got four belts. So presumably at some point, the other three will be called. So here's the question. I mean, let, let's assume we're not going to lose mandatory challenges anytime soon. Does it come to a point, George, where maybe Katie Taylor, I mean, she's, she's 34, so she's not going to go on forever, but does she have to start thinking, maybe choosing between fighting whoever's put in front of her and saying, actually, I want this one, this one, this one, and then I'm done? You know, it would be a real shame. I don't know what her financial situation is, obviously, but it'd be a real shame if she wasn't set up for life at the end of this. Maybe now is the time to make sure that is definitely the case. Yeah, no, I think um appreciate Dex's point and it and it is a really good point. Um they they don't have the the, the depth of you know competition that, that you get in the in the men's you know men's boxing. So mandatories do seem a bit bizarre, but also they, they do add the the added value of uh, an opponent sometimes is not necessarily that recognised, but this is the fight we need to watch because you know some uh, a champion has to defend against their mandatory. So, but Kate Taylor, if she had say three of the four belts uh, and she was chasing that last one and mandatories were getting in the way, then <clears throat> yeah, that would be a problem. But I think 
as if I was Katie Taylor, she's got she's number one in the world. She's got all the belts. You know, you chase now. You just chase the bigger fights. You fight, find the big fights, and if there isn't quite a big fight on the horizon, then you keep busy with a mandatory. So uh, if I was her, uh, her stage of her career, that would be sort of my mindset now. Um, you know that she's not, you know, trying to dodge that that awkward mandatory that you get like every now and again, there'll be a champion. You've got to fight this um, commercially nothing value fight. But this guy in front of you is a, is a hard night's work. He's awkward. He's rough. He's tough. He's, you know, he's crude. Um, It's not that sort of situation for Katie Taylor. Um, And for for women's boxing as well, uh, you want to see, you, you kind of want to have a bit more, of a build-up because it, there's there might be some sort of rivalry, a bit something that people can sink their teeth into and, and be excited about. Um, fantastic that the that, 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 um, the show last night was was free across all platforms. You didn't even need to be a Sky Sports subscriber; you could watch it online for free. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to give away your content too often for free because you're kind of playing with its own value. Then, so um, you know. Katie Taylor needs to be headlining pay-per-view shows, like, but she will need a dance partner for that. Pretty much everyone in boxing does need that. So, there, you know, some 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 big names can be can be put together, and some interesting fights can be made. And that would be, if I was her and her team, be trying to what they'll be angling for um, at this stage of her career. You know, she. She looks the part. She she she's a fantastic role model for for boxers, for young people in general. So, you know, she doesn't need to be controversial or, you know, smack talking or anything like that to try and create some sort of hype. She can be herself, but um, as I say, she probably will need, you know, someone else, a bigger name. And it would be lovely to see um, her get a few of them fights in before she decides to hang up the gloves in the, in the future. The Amanda Serrano fight was set for me and then it, it felt like they just couldn't agree terms to then do it behind closed doors. So, I mean, as long as it feels like an ego situation there, really, whether it's probably mainly in the promoting side, but that fight surely can be resurrected. Yeah, I mean, it was was a strange one because they signed, like, Match from USA, as far as I can tell, they signed Amanda Solano. I don't know if she's still under contract. And obviously that was the whole point. Um, And then it seems that she priced herself out of it. But one of those ones, as far as we were told, it was one of those ones where she priced herself out of it so high, it was basically just, I don't actually want the fight. And it, then it was made and it wasn't. Um, there comes a point where she's going to have to just move on from that. And it's not the be all and end all for her. I feel like the weird thing with, with Taylor is that she seemed to be fading at one point, or at least there was slight signs that, okay, maybe she's getting to the end or, you know, over the hill. But actually, if you look at that fight, you look at the Persoon rematch, you look at even the Lina Dartu fight when she won the, the title up at 10 stone. I think she's getting better. I think she's getting better than she's ever been. Um, so it's not even like she's on the slides. So now is the time that she can really cement. I mean, the legacy's there already, but you know, now is when she's really going to set a stall out as maybe the best. You know, really say this is this is who you have to beat if you want to be known as the best of all time, women's wise. Um, and boxing mandatories uh, like this is not going to help that. But there are only a few names out there, so I feel like it would come to a point where she would drop the belts if she had to. Um, I feel like Jessica McCaskill's a good fight for her as well. She's beaten her already, but now she went and beat 
Cecilia Brake, who she's a unified welterweight champion, go up and win another title at welterweight. That'd be three three weights in the can. Um, and I feel like they would drop the belts to do that if they had to. And also maybe the sanctioning bodies would, would be a little bit more lenient because, I mean, I don't know how it works on the women's side, How, but the fact that Rachel Ball and um, Guanini sort of went from one weight to another was a bit strange. You know, there's obviously rules that can be bent and, and that kind of happens. It happened with Floyd Mayweather. I'm sure it could happen with someone like Katie Taylor. Um, and yeah, I just think we got a... It's not even a case of putting pressure on because Katie and her team are all about trying to get big fights because they're not interested in anything else. But we just got to hope that, that that's what's happened because there'll be managers thrown from every angle now. Yeah, and another name constantly mentioned is is Chris Cyborg of MMA fame. I guess that's almost a an indication in itself that there might not be too many big names in boxing if we're if we're talking about a crossover fight. I'm sure it would do. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure both both women would make money, and I'm sure it would be well watched. But I think it still feels like it's a boxer against a a very Holly good boxer Holm again. Against was mentioned her. at one point. Um, yeah. I don't know I mean, at least she did box. Yeah, she boxed, and that was her thing. And Heather Hardy was another name that seemed to have fallen by the way. So it almost feels like Katie Taylor's actually gone beyond these people now, um, mm. and it wouldn't. So now you've got to think bigger. Uh, Let's not talk about Caressa Shields. That was a real unfortunate uh, question that someone, a, a journalist asked last week. I mean, let's not get too ridiculous, but she's, you know, she's in the market now for the biggest fights. Uh, and I think she's going to be anyone they put in front of her. Even default, I thought Pursum was going to be her bogey, Matt, bogey woman, but she wasn't. Uh, one name which I'm going to mention in relation to, to Terry Harper is... Natasha Jonas, who felt like maybe, I mean, she, she was on the Sky team, maybe wasn't mentioned too heavily. Eddie Hearn and Joe Gallagher not uh, on good terms at the moment, which maybe that was a factor. But that's, I mean, I'm sure Katie Taylor would, would probably win that fight, but at least they have a bit of history. And at least it's that domestic fight. Any interest in that? For me, definitely. Like, and I could see that. Well, like, you know, if you were to say, would you rather see Katie Taylor against Miriam Gutierrez or her equivalent, the next one in line, or Natasha Jonas, who she beat at London, and Jonas is coming off a bit of a stitch up in some people's eyes against Terry Harper. Yeah, I'd, I'd see that. And I could see them making that. Um, and just on the subject of mandatory as well, another name, Chantal Cameron, uh, who I believe is the WBC mandatory, either at that weight or maybe even... Uh, Super well. Either way, another name floating around. Big British clash. That'd be great. Um, Terry Harper, even. You know, um, it's not like there's a, a lack of a lack of opponents. It's just a case of making sure it happens. And the good thing is, if she's boxing as regularly as she is now, and that continues, then yeah, she could fit in. You know, she could fight, box five times next year. That leads to Terry Harper, who successfully defended her world title against Katharina Thanders, ninth round stoppage after a. A largely dominant performance and with one hand I think she hurt her backhand in the fourth round different opponent definitely of course but much more composed than she was against Natasha Jonas in fight camp yeah she I, I even thought she looked nervous like on the ring walk and stuff and I was a little bit like concerned but yeah she boxed amazing like you say she hurt never mind hurt her hand there's pictures on Instagram she like, snapped one of her main metacarpals a proper injury and then she obviously boxed on and got the stoppage as well lovely body shot 
Um, it was a real composed, complete performance against a real good opponent. Terry Harper, 24 years old, as far as I, as far as I know. That is so young. She's so got so much more to give. Um, she's going to be, you know, talk about Trailblazers and Katie Taylor. She's going to be one over the next 10 years that really bombs on and does amazing things for the sport in this country. And, I mean, that was a tough opponent, big test, big night for her. Again, just a few months after she last boxed and had a tough night, I thought it was a really, really impressive uh, performance. And you don't see many stoppages at all. Uh, obviously, the two-minute rounds don't help, but that was, a, that was a good one. I think that's six, six stoppages for her, so she can punch as well. And the one thing that I think Eddie Hearn is determined to do, and you can see that in, in the way he's basically signing up as many female fighters as he can, is to, is to basically have what he said he wants, an undisputed or unified champion in every division by, by next year. And that's it. I mean, this is where I think Sasha Jonas probably gets left on the sidelines a little bit, at least for now. That looks like being Harper's immediate plan. That's basically what it sounded like, um, which is a shame because you felt like she'd earned a rematch at least, but maybe they'll take her in the, in the Taylor direction. Who knows? But, I mean, that's a good thing to hear. We've heard it a lot, though, with men's boxing, haven't we, this idea of unified champions in every division. But if they have an opportunity to do that, um, particularly Eddie Hearn on his side and his boxers and his weight divisions that he's sort of across, they can do that. And I think that would be really handy just to get the sport at that point, which is obviously the sort of promised land with men's boxing. It just doesn't ever happen. So to get that in women's boxing would be a really good, solid position from which to build because it is still obviously a burgeoning sport, you know, across the board. So that would be a, a great start. And I think there's the boxers to do it. Just finally on that card, Rachel Ball came through against Helena Guanini. Uh, of course, as you mentioned, that went up a weight, changed from a world title to uh, another sanctioned body's interim world title. I mean, I, 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 I haven't heard, but it would, I guess, make sense to just revert back to Bridges for Rachel Ball, you would think, and just try and make that fight again. I, I, I guess that surely they would. And Ebony Bridges already asked, you know, been calling out for it and stuff. And you'd think if they made it in the first place, then why wouldn't they go back to that? Um, Guanini, obviously very short, late notice opponent, so was heavy um, through no fault of her own other than it got a late shout. Um, and she was good. I thought it was a good fight. I thought it was real, um, a good clash of styles, a, lit, a little super flyweight against a big, massive bantamweight in Rachel Ball. Um, it was a good fight. It, you know, it could have gone either way at times. Um, but yeah, I, I guess Ebony Bridges is the one. As you know, whatever you want to say about that, what is Ebony Bridges 3 and 0? So to box for a world title at that stage, there were questions over that in the first place. But um, you would think, you would assume that would be the move now. Okay, in the third and final part, we'll look at Chris. Oh, I was going to say Chris Eubank. I don't know why. Conor <laughs> Baird's <laughs> return to action on Saturday. So instead of Dillian White against Alexander Povetkin, this Saturday's non-pay-per-view card now is headlined by Conor Ben's first fight in over a year against Sebastian Formella. And a good chance, really, I guess, George, for Conor to grab the limelight. I mean, it would have been a chief support, if you like, for Povetkin. 
white, but now headlining on normal sky, so more eyes on it, you would think. And the chance is for him just to say, this is what I've been uh, improving on for the last year. Yeah, no, definitely. Connor Ben, um, <clears throat> 24 years of age now. He turned professional quite young um, with a limited amateur pedigree, limited amateur experience, and was a big name. You know, I felt like he was um, not thrown in the deep end off, off the bat, but he was being assessed and critiqued pretty early on in his career. And he definitely needed um, time to figure it, figure himself out, figure out his style, uh, and then start to make the improvements and the adjustments. And he had a few sticky moments. I remember seeing him get off the canvas that you'll call. Um, I haven't got the opponent's name, but he, I think he dropped twice in the first round, got up. He, um, you know, he pulled back and he, he won that fight. But um, there's elements of danger about him and, and risk, but... Um, a few fights ago, he started to um, settle down a little bit. And he's you can tell he's always battling that thought process in his mind of just throwing caution to the wind and being a fan-friendly fighter and, you know, just, just rolling the dice and, and swinging and, and imposing himself. But you always you want him to do it behind some sort of safety element behind maybe a good jab and some decent head movement and see the shots coming and not just be concerned about um the you know, full force going forward and i think he has made some improvements i mean he's linked with um a fight with uh josh um kelly sorry Dick. josh kelly josh kelly yep josh kelly and um you know for a while it was yeah Kelly's got too, you know, he's, he's too good. He's, you know, he's too well scored. He's got too much experience. But then the tides have turned, and lots of people, you know, Kelly has a few sticky moments, and in his fights, in his career, hasn't progressed at the level that you know people thought it would, and and people started to favour favour Ben. But I do think this is kind of a bit of a coming out scene for for Ben, where not to announce his name because, as I say, he's he's got the name, and he's, he feels like he's been around for for, for quite a while now. Um, but looking at you know 16 and 0, um, 24 years of age, um, he needs to now be knocking on a door for um, the, the gatekeepers of the, of the world title elite you know, level. Um, he's not going to be ready to fight for a world title, I don't think, not yet. But he wants to be certainly making significant strides in the right direction. Um, in fact, with Formella, I think. Um, on paper, um, is a good match for him. A good match for him. It doesn't seem like a huge punch. I went points with um, Porter um, a few months ago. So, you know, we've seen what he's up to a few months ago. And um, I'm sure Connor will be buzzing. Buzzing for the occasion. You know, he's um, kind of lived in the limelight, I suppose, being, you know, uh, son to, to Nigel Ben. And um, I don't have... Uh, a direct line with, with Connor, but um, I'm friends with his strength conditioning coach, Dan Lawrence, speak to him regularly, and they know that they're, they're really excited about the uh, the fight and, and the platform and the opportunity to headline. So I see, uh, for me, Connor Ben, it's always just um, how to keep his head on the job and keep him focused, you know. Um, his biggest challenge might be a mental one as opposed to you know, a physical one, whereas he can he stay engaged and um 
with his mind on on the task at hand and not make any mistakes. You know, was it, alleviate mistakes from his from his performances. This does feel like a good step up, definitely. As I said, Formella went twelve with some Porter only three months ago, so you know, question marks perhaps over how ready he'll be to jump straight back in again. But on paper, anyway, well, it would be uh, Ben's best victory. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a good, good bit of matchmaking. Um, I mean, we might not be saying that if he loses because it is a big step up. But with Conor Ben, he's always been working on or learning on the job, a massive work in progress from everyone. And no one's really made any bones about that. Um, But this is a big test for him. But to be honest, you know, he's been served up big tests before. Like George said, he's got floored a couple of times, got lucky really in that decision against Cedric Payne. And then people were writing him off in the rematch, went and did a job. I forget the, the name of the guy, the Finnish weight or yeah, the Finnish weight boxed him at light weight at York Hall, knocked him out in like two rounds. People were saying he was going to come unstuck there. So he gets questions asked of him a lot and he answers them. Um, I think he's exciting because, um, yeah, he, he is, he is uh, I don't know, fragile is the wrong word, but, you know, he seems vulnerable at times because of his style. Um, and, but because of that, he, he also does damage and he doesn't even reject that he says that's why people want to tune in to watch him because you never know what's going to happen um i feel like this is a good step up is it going to be too much for him we'll we'll find out and if he wins this in style that's a big big win uh and then we can sort of say okay he's not just a he's not just a son of someone else and um you know a bit of a novelty act because he's a proper fighter i think he's proven that already but some people still um question whether he's got the the ability to go all the way. And like, like George said, the Josh Kelly fight, people laughed that one out of town because it just seemed like they're miles ahead. But really, are they? Um, and how would Conor Ben do it in a fight against someone like Josh Kelly? I think Formella is a, is a really good one. Um, it's been thrust right under the limelight because of the cancellation of the heavyweight fight. But I feel like Conor Ben is someone who, who can deal with that. It's almost like he's always had to battle that. The two, the two things. One is you're the son of... Nigel Ben, so you get all this opportunity and no one else in your position with, you know, 15 amateur fights in Australia or whatever would get this sort of opportunity. But at the same time, the pressure comes. So you have to juggle those two things. I think he's done it really well. Like George said, he seems to, with, with Dan Lawrence, his, his strength and conditioning is absolutely, he seems like in amazing shape. He's been, you know, learning and just grinding away on the boxing side as well. Um, and I feel like, yeah, almost like what you mentioned at the start, it's his chance to prove what he's been working on. And at his age and at his stage in his career, it should be a, a whole amount has been, you know, put in the tank over the last year. Um, is Formella too good for him though? We'll find out. I think, I think it's a good fight. I'm looking forward to it. Agreed. And on that note, we will finish for this week. Next week, we will look back at whether Formella was too much for Conor Ben. And then we'll look ahead to a huge heavyweight domestic clash with potential world title ramifications down the line as Joe Joyce takes on Daniel Dubois. And maybe, just maybe, we'll have to mention Mike Tyson against Roy Jones Jr. Thank you, gents. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Until next time, please do join us then.